right. Welcome to week one of our Christmas series, Venture. It's, it's great to see you today. Can I see a show of hands? How many of you, you love this time of year? Let me see a show of hands. I see most, many, most hands going up. I do. I love this time of year. The crispness in the air drives us inside, maybe around a roaring fire. Here's our roaring fire in the Killebrew household. Uh, sometimes I'll look at Dawn and say, hey, you want me to start a fire? And I'll walk over to the wall where that row of switches is. And I'll <laughs> flip the switch, and that gas log fireplace does that. Yeah, yeah. But the stockings are hung in our house by the chimney. Well, the gas log flew. They're hung with care. And it is cozy. We get in there and we sit down. We're watching maybe the television or sitting next to the roaring fire. It's cold outside. A cozy Christmas. I bet it wasn't quite so cozy a little more than 100 years ago before World War I. Europe was racked with the bubonic plague. Boy, that took a hard right turn, didn't it? One-third of Europe died from the bubonic plague. I was in New York City several years ago, and it was a college trip. One of my college professors was with us. We saw a rat. This happens sometimes when you're in New York City. And one of the girls in our group squealed, and I remember this professor giving us a bit of a history lesson right then. He said, you know what? One-third of Europe died from the bubonic plague, and it was carried by those critters right there. Well, he was about half right. One-third of Europe died, but it was not carried by the bubonic plague. It wasn't his fault. This was the conventional wisdom of that day. But in 2007, a bunch of scientists got together and said, you know what, it actually wasn't rats that carried the bubonic plague. It was fleas. The problem with that, the problem with fleas is, here's the problem, sometimes you don't even know when you've been bit. You can be a carrier. You know when you've been bit by a rat, right? I mean, nightmares are made of these kind of things. But you don't even know sometimes when a flea bites you. Can I tell you about a time very recently when your pastor got bit by a flea? It's so easy this time of year. It was about a week, uh, a few days over a week ago. I was sitting around the campfire, Thanksgiving Day with my brothers. And, uh, well, thanks, day after Thanksgiving, actually, here, here's what happened. We had a marathon of folks come through our house. I think Dawn counted 44 bodies that came through. It was her side of the family. We did a gathering, and we did. We prepared Thanksgiving dinner the way God intends. We fried a turkey. I'll fight you on that. That's the best way to prepare a turkey. And we did three of those, and the next uh, couple days, my brothers were there. We're in the backyard. We fried. We, we were pulling all kinds of stuff out of the fridge. I had just gotten a deer, and so we fried deer heart, deer liver, and deer steaks. They were all very surprisingly good. Uh, we fried turkey gobbler nuggets from uh, this past spring, a wild turkey that I got. And we were just sitting around enjoying a great I got bit by a flea. I had been hearing one of my boys talk about Black Friday sales. Then I heard the nieces and the nephews talking about Black. I heard a couple of uncles talk about Black Friday and Cyber Monday, and I got to thinking, you know, our TV's been acted up recently. We need a new TV. We're sitting around the campfire, and everybody, we've got all this family togetherness happening, and what's happening, I'm over here on Amazon.com. 
And you know what happens when you start researching a product like that. You end up looking at, well, they make these unboxing videos. The title of this series is Unboxed. Do you know what an unboxing video is? Well, it's when you end up on Thanksgiving Day or the day after Thanksgiving, preparing for Cyber Monday, and you're on YouTube somewhere looking at somebody unboxing a product. You know what this image is right here? This is a picture of, you might think it's a dog. Well, it's Pavlov's dog, right? You know what a Pavlovian dog is. This is how this works. You put out some food. The next image will show how this works. And then you ring a bell, and before you get long, you're just salivating, even at the sound of a bell ringing. I'm salivating hearing the word TV as I'm looking for an unboxing video. Here's what an unboxing video looks like. Check this out. This is a video from just a few years ago. I think it's, well, it's an iPhone 7. So this has been a few years ago. And this gentleman, he's showing us what's going to be inside the box. And he's unwrapping it. We're all like, well, do I want to buy this product? Yes, no. Oh, I like the box. That's really a fancy packaging that it comes in. He pops it open, pulls it out. Oh, it's a bubble wrap. That's probably a good thing. It's going to be packed in there nice and secure. And we're going to enjoy this product when we unwrap it. Oh, yeah, here we go. I've been waiting for this. I've been dreaming about this. I've been saving my pennies. And he opens it up. The anticipation is killing me. Oh, yeah. It looks great. Wait a minute. That can't... What? That's not what he expected. Okay. All right. Enough of that. This is what we don't want to have happen. At the end of the Christmas season, come February, all mid-January, you're opening up your credit card bills And you look backwards on wasted money spent, wasted time invested, maybe wasted worship missed. We're going to unbox Christmas together over the next several weeks. Each week during this season, here's what we're leaning into. God's gift to you should inform your gift to others. Actually, Let's personalize that, shall we? Put in your own personal pronouns there. God's gift to me should inform my gift to others. Say that with me, will you? God's gift to me should inform my gift to others. There are four realized gifts the New Testament describes Jesus as coming in the fullness of time. All creation had been groaning, and Jesus shows up in the fullness of time. And there are four timeless truths we find in a prophecy several hundred years before Jesus is born. They're timeless truths. They were timeless then. They're still timeless today. We're leaning into these four gifts. This is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, which says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. He's the Prince of Peace. These are the four timeless truths, these titles that we're going to look at. There's a lot in a name. If you look at the meaning behind a name, there's a lot there. We're going to unpack the meaning of these four names. And we're going to discover that there's two sides to each of these gifts. Week one, we're looking at this idea of Wonderful Counselor. Jesus is described as the wonderful counselor, and I want to unbox this gift. Remember that this gift has two sides. We'll talk about that here in a minute. 
This Hebrew word here for wonderful, it's the Hebrew word pele, and it means extraordinary. Not ordinary, extraordinary. But, but by the way, Jesus is outside of what is ordinary. He's the wonderful counselor. This word can mean miraculous. You know, we overuse the word wonderful. We say things like this, turkey is wonderful. Well, what we mean by that is it's pleasant. This word has more weight to it than that. Wonderful, outside of what's ordinary. Wonderful counselor. The Hebrew word here is yoes, and it means you can give some advice. It can mean you're going to sit and listen to a counselor speak to you. It's really intended to mean wise counselor. In other words, the word picture that we see here is that Jesus is an extraordinary, wise counselor. When I think about a wise counselor, have you ever spent time with a wise counselor? If I had to kind of consent, boil down everything that they have to say or who they are into one word, I would use the word presence. They're good at active listening. They're really with you. When you talk and you bear your soul, when you share your concerns and your hopes and your dreams, there's active listening there. There's wisdom that follows their advice, and they're really present. They're with you. Week one, we see today that the gift that Jesus brings during this season is the gift of presence. Each week, I want to unwrap a present. And each week, I want to grab a gift that we can find in the nativity scene. So... I'm going to grab a present. While I do that, I'm going to leave you to enjoy my favorite nativity scene. This is in our house. This is the hipster nativity scene. See if you can pick out some of the fun stuff in there. I've shared that with you in years past. You can see the 100% organic uh, stamp there on the side of the cow. You can see Mary taking a selfie with the baby Jesus. There's a lot there to unpack. But each week, we're going to unpack, we're going to unwrap a gift from Jesus. Today, we're focusing on presents. I have uh, here in this box a present that was actually given to me right over there about six months ago. Nancy Rogers, a gal who came to our church, moved to Nebraska, and the the last week she was here, she gave me a gift. She made it. I love this. It's the, an image, well, more than an image, it's actually the figurines of a nativity. If you were to get real close to it, you would see that there's all kinds of scroll saw detail work in this. It's the image from the nativity scene. Each week we're going to unpack one of these images. This week we're starting with the star. If there were angels in here, we'd focus on the angels because do you remember the angels? God comes through the star and there's a heavenly host and the angels sing, glory to God in the highest peace on earth, goodwill toward men. God, his presence shows up and the angels are sore afraid. Don't be afraid. I bring you good, good news, great tidings. I want you to go right around the corner here to a manger scene. You're going to find that God has come near. By the way, each of these gifts are represented in the baby in the manger. If you're taking notes today, I want to invite you to write this down. It's a two-sided gift, a two-sided present. God's presence is designed to be a gift to you. God's presence is a gift to you. Oftentimes, when I'm speaking to someone in grief, I find myself praying or maybe even writing a note of encouragement to somebody. When they are experiencing fresh grief, I pray for God's peace and I pray for God's 
presence, to be palpable, to be very real right now in this moment. Remember, this is in the fullness of time. Let's take a journey through human history, shall we? Let's see how the gift of God's presence, how it reveals itself to humankind, and really in the fullness of time, how it's still revealing itself to us Today, if you're taking notes, I've got 10 of these. They're one word uh, that I'm going to throw up on the screen. 10 gifts that illustrate God's presence. Here's the first one. It's the gift of a big vocabulary. Not so much to puff yourself up with big words, but as we think about a vocabulary, God's presence, well, this is pretty important to recognize. This is a big word to say this. God is imminent because he is transcendent. Why do we need to grasp that? Well, when we think about God's presence and the gift that his presence is to us, let's define those two words real quick. Joshua chapter 2, verse 11, it defines it perfectly. God in the heavens above, the big vocabulary word here, that's transcendence. God is above. He's above all of this. And he's on the earth beneath. That means he's imminent. Why are those two words so important? Because... Because somebody in this room today, you've just experienced loss. Somebody in this last year, you've experienced profound loss in the Christmas season. Oh, this is a tough time of year. Those firsts without that loved one. God's presence is imminent to hold you in your grief. But God's transcendence. His presence is there to beat the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell. It's because of God's transcendent presence that we're able to say, like the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament, we grieve, but not like those who have no hope. God's transcendent presence wins. God's imminent presence means that he draws near and we can feel his presence. So big vocabulary. Here's another gift of his presence. Good theology. I just want to sneak this one in because here's another big vocabulary word or a couple of them. We need to briefly look at the idea of his manifest presence versus his omnipresence. He's omnipresent. There's three big omni words if you're studying theology that are core to who we believe God to be. The Bible emphasizes that God's manifest presence is important, not just his Omnipresent, the three big omni-powerhouse words. You've got omnipotence. This means that God is all-powerful. You've got omniscient. This means that God is all-knowing. And you've got omnipresence. It means that he's all-everywhere. But there's a difference between saying that God is all-everywhere and his manifest presence saying that God is here. The problem is it's kind of a default for most Christians to say, well, yeah, God is everywhere. But do you embrace the truth that all everywhere means that he's, he's right here? He's right with you right now in your moment of need. We talk about God's presence being inescapable. Well, here you go. He's everywhere present, including Right here, I love the words the psalmist uses in Psalm 139, verse 5. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? 
If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Just a couple of verses after this, it actually says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. It's that passage that we quote when we talk about the sanctity of life. Even before I was born, God, your presence everywhere is with me where I am. I love this passage. What do we do with this? What does this mean for you and me today? Where's the gift in this? I like this quote from Eleanor Roosevelt, who said this years ago, Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift. That's why we call it the present. This season, can I challenge you, embrace the present. Be intentional with his presence Here's the third way we see that. We see it in consistency. Consistency. God is anything. He's nothing if not consistent. Here's a way I would phrase that. The story of Scripture begins and it ends with the presence of God. God is seeking to be with his people, and you can find it all through Scripture at the very beginning and the very end. Let's go to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Here's the word picture. It's the Garden of Eden. God is walking in the garden with the man, with the woman, in the cool of the day. Can you just sense his presence before sin enters the picture? And at the end of the story, at the very end, after Jesus has conquered Satan, sin, death, and hell, and he reigns forever here on the earth, there's this picture that John gets writing from the island of Patmos. He gets this glimpse into heaven. It's a picture of our preferred future, the hope that we have of Jesus forever. There's this picture in Revelation chapter 21 at the end of the story, just one chapter before the end. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice saying this, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and get this, God himself will be with them and be their God. And then there's this passage that's quoting all, this is a a quote from all over the Bible. It's 2 Corinthians. It's a quote from Isaiah. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. All through Scripture is pointing to the truth that God desires presence with his people. Here's the fourth one, clarity. He gives clarity to our purpose. God's presence and our mission are inseparable. He goes with us to accomplish what he's called us to do. The whole Bible, by the way, points toward Jesus. We should take special note of that. Isaiah chapter 11, it's foretold what's going to happen during the Christmas season. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. If you read through the genealogy at the beginning of the book of Matthew, you find this reference there. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, and the wolf will lie down with the lamb. You skip ahead, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. Jesus, Emmanuel, the baby in a manger for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The whole Bible points to Jesus. We should take note of that. Maybe our whole lives should point to Jesus as well. Maybe our whole lives should reflect the reality of his presence, that God comes near. 
Here's number five. It's a knowledge of sin. The knowledge that sin separates us from God. It separates us from his presence. Sin undermines humanity's mission and the experience of God's presence. Sin hinders everything, especially God's experience, or man's experience, rather, of God's presence. As we think about this month of unwrapping the gift of God's presence, could I encourage you? To, as Paul says in the New Testament, to throw off the sin that so easily entangles. It snares us up. Run the race you've been called for. Maybe there's a sin thing that you just confessed right now in communion. Maybe here in a moment when the service is done, you need to make your way up here to the cross and Jake Harp will be under the cross and he would love to pray with you. Maybe there's something you could unburden to somebody else. Or maybe maybe for the first time ever, you've not asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life, but you're recognizing that sin, sin keeps you from his presence. We would love to meet you here and to walk through that journey with you. Here's the sixth gift. The gift of covenant. As we study the Bible and we think about God's presence, he uses covenant in a big way to bring his presence back to the people. He's seeking relationship. He's seeking to be with his created. Here's a passage in Exodus chapter 29, the beginning of the Mosaic Covenant, I will dwell among the people of Israel and I'll be their God. They shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell with them. This is exactly what he's aiming for then. What do we say in the fullness of time? That's still what he's aiming at today. Number seven, the presence of God is the means and the end of redemption. Sin trips us up. But Jesus redeems, and he does it through the gift of his presence. Get this. God writes himself into the very story of his redemptive plan. He writes himself into the story to bring salvation to you and to me, and we are leaning into the season right now that we celebrate the truth of that. How? Because number eight, the greatest gift of God's presence there's power, there's meaning in a name, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, the baby in the manger. I want to camp here just for a minute because Emmanuel literally means God with us. What if? What if this Christmas season, what if you unwrap the present of God's presence what if you really lean into the truth that Emmanuel is God with us? How would that change the way you go about your Christmas shopping? How would that change the way you might sit around the campfire with your brothers and scroll through and become distracted, chasing consumerism rather than chasing God's presence? How would that change maybe the way that you would go about the busyness of seeking to grab the, the latest and greatest Christmas tree and the perfect Instagram picture to post on social media? Would it change the way you would do Christmas if you were to recognize that Emmanuel, God, is with us? There's this 400-year period of silence between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. The end of the Old Testament ends with Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. It says, Behold, I'm going to send to you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts 
to the fathers of their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I may not come and smite the land with a curse. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be God present. I'm going to be Emmanuel with you. That 400 years of silence ends with the coming of John the Baptist who says, make way for God. He's here. 400 years of silence is ending. There's this hymn that we sing oftentimes during this season that celebrates that. Here are the lyrics, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel, in the fullness of time, God's presence He's still drawing near and the person in the nature of Jesus Christ. Number nine, the purpose of the church is tied to the presence of God. What we do, how we exist, what we're all about is because of God's presence. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? The church has two purposes. To grow up one another in the faith, to prepare God's people for God's present and future presence. But the second reason the church exists is to externally share the good news of Jesus. To share that Emmanuel, that baby, God drew near. So let's show that to them. Here's number 10. A joyful Christian knows God's presence, and we want to leak his joy everywhere we go. Psalm uh, 16, verse 11 says, In your presence there is a fullness of joy. God, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Remember, there's two sides of this gift as we think about these things and how we apply them. There's this side. God's presence is a gift to us. But remember, I said there are two sides to the same gift. Not just God's presence is a gift to us, but your presence. Your presence is designed to be a gift to others. I was looking for the perfect way to illustrate this. I told you the star in the nativity celebrates God's presence. And I was sharing this with uh, one of our staff here, Jana Caldwell, and she said, oh, I've got it. I've got the perfect way to illustrate this. There's this star that has been on, she said, my father-in-law Henry's treetop for the last, we did the math, we believe 54 years. Her husband Daniel made this, I think he's 59 now, he made this when he was in kindergarten. And it's been on the tree ever since. It does represent how God came near, God's presence. But it was a gift, and I love that, a gift that was given to someone else. And that gift comes back every year and is a reminder at the top of their family Christmas tree. Your presence should be a gift to others. Let me give you some tips on how to do that. So you don't find yourself sitting around the campfire when you're with people, scrolling through, being bit by the flea of consumerism, being bitten by the flea maybe of busyness, maybe bitten by the flea of whatever it is that the world would throw at you during these next several weeks that will distract you from the presence that you're designed to unwrap for yourself and the presence that you're designed to wrap up, to gift to others. So how about here's a tip. Focus on relationships. 
Focus on the relationships that God has put right in front of you. You have an opportunity this Christmas season. There are people that God is bringing into your life. There are people that he's nudging you with, that he's whispering in your ear saying, hey, I would invite you to go after that person. Would you chase that person? Is there a relationship when you think about God's presence that you should be drawing near to as well? Because maybe it's not so much focusing on your presence, but God's presence that's designed to flow in and through you to them. That's your gift to the world. Could I suggest to you? Something fundamentally changed for our church this fall. Our One Life series, our One Life spiritual growth journey. If you're newer to our church, if you walk out into the lobby, you can see on the wall out there what the journey that our church went through. We intentionally put our attention, our eyes and our ears, and our focus toward folks who, well, they're far from God. By the way, when I say that, I don't mean from God's perspective, you understand. From God's perspective, no one is ever far from God because God is the hound of heaven. He's chasing people down. He's always right there. But from our perspective, from a human perspective, you understand that you know people in your life who are living as if they are far from God. They're ignoring him, or they're denying his very existence, or maybe they're running from him. There's a truism that we know, though, when we study church statistics, when we just study patterns, we know that at least twice a year, well, it's the Super Bowl of church, right? We're in one of those seasons right now, Christmas and Easter. There are people inside your sphere of influence who they might not choose to come to church during the rest of the year, but during this season, they're going to sometime be in a grocery store, and they're going to hear one of the songs that we just sang, and they're going to think, oh, I need to know more about that. Or maybe they're going to hear something or see something, or going to maybe smell some cookies, and it's going to remind them of Grandma and that time that Grandma took them to church when they were a child, and God is nudging them and saying, hey, you should explore that. Some of them are coming to Christmas because you have invested in them. You have invited them to come and be a part of what God is doing in your life. Could I encourage you, as you think about one life, you have one life to invest, who's the one life that you're investing in. Would you think about that? Who are you investing in right now strategically? Because I dare say, if you invite them to join us for Christmas, they very well might say yes. Christmas Eve services. We have three of them planned. We have a Christmas Eve Eve service at 6 p.m. We have a Christmas, two of them, Christmas Eve services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. Here's the thing. For a whole bunch of years, as I understand it, I talked to some of the uh, staff that are here at Venture who have been around for a while. We kind of did this thing, and we would even say it from the front, where, hey, listen, Christmas is our gift to you. We're not really asking you to serve to be a part of what we're doing. We just want you to be able to come and enjoy. And I love the heart behind that. But what we're discovering is it's not working. If we're seeking to give away Christmas and Easter to people who maybe are far from God and we want to use this as an opportunity to be winsome to them, if we're going to really roll out the carpet, the red carpet for your one as you invite them to come and join you for Christmas Eve services, we need your help to pull it off. So let me make this bold statement. Christmas Eve around here at Venture is no longer our gift to you. Ooh, wow, that hurts a little bit, doesn't it? I mean it. It's no longer our gift to you. Let me finish that sentence. Because Christmas is God's gift to the world. And he needs you 
to be a gift giver. He needs you to pull this off. Your church needs your help to pull this off. So do me a favor right now. Grab your smartphone, that iPhone 7 that you unboxed several years ago from the video, but yours work. Go ahead and hold it up right now. Open up your camera app phone, and I want you to focus on this QR code right here. Go ahead and put your camera on that. Press the little link there, and you're going to open up a link. I, I sat down with our staff team this past week, and we discovered that we've got about 66 serving opportunities each of those services in order to roll out the red carpet to you, but more importantly to your friends, your ones that you're inviting to come and be a part of this. These are the options that popped up. We need 16 door greeters. We need greeters for kids. We need ushers. We need some actors. We've got a, a, a cool thing planned. We need some hospitality folks. We need nursery folks. We need parking lot attendants. We need some live nativity volunteers. I don't want to spoil anything with that, but we've got some pretty fun things planned for that. And so we're looking for a small army, each service, to come and serve and be a part of that. Let's go ahead and put that full screen back up there again. And if you have not yet clicked that link, please do that sometime today. Sign up. Be a part of this. Decide who you're going to invest and invite in because you're called to focus on relationships. This is one of the ways that you bring God's presence through your presence to those around you who desperately need to see him. By the way, if you couldn't get that to work for you, there's a quick link if you go to our website, venturechristian.church slash Christmas serve. You could find that same list there. And we really do need your help. We need a small army of you who are willing to say, listen, I'll serve one and I'll worship one. I'll come twice to Christmas Eve services because I'll help serve and then I'll sit through Christmas and worship myself. Would you consider that? Would you please lean into that opportunity? Here's an idea. As you're thinking about your presence as a gift to others, maybe you simply do that. Ask for presents instead of presents. You know, really, rather than give me that tie that I'll never wear, how about my kids started doing this a few years ago on Father's Day. They give me things now, like we're going to go to the movies together, Dad. We're going to go bowling together, Dad. I would much rather have that than the tie, let's be honest, that I'll never wear. Anyway, ask for presents instead of presents. How about this? Stay engaged in community. You want to bring your presence to earth, God's presence in and through you as a gift to others? you got to be around people. I know this is a lonely time of year for many of us. Actively fight against that flea that's biting you. Actively lean into community. Stay engaged in community. Hebrews chapter 10 puts it this way in verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another together and all the more as you see the day approaching. How about this one? Be an intentional giver. Be an intentional giver. I don't just mean giving to your church. We just wrapped up a giving series. I'm talking about how do you give good gifts to others without any strings attached. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 talks about sowing generously and reaping generously. Let's hit the next slide. I love this. God loves a cheerful giver. You know this is true. Not somebody that's giving a gift under the Christmas tree out of compulsion, but they're so excited they can't wait for you to unwrap the present that they have boxed up for you. You have to lean into that this time of year with joy. 
How about this? Here's an idea. Share. Share your dinner table. Maybe share your time. Share your energy. What is it that you have, God's presence leaking in and through you? This is a lonely time of year for so many people. I was reminded of that about three weeks ago. I've got a hunting buddy. His name is Earl. Earl is 89 years old. I went to visit him at his house about three or four weeks ago, and I sat down in his living room. His wife is wrestling with dementia, and he's getting up there in age. I'll never forget this moment. He looked at me with tears in his eyes. We've hunted together for years. He's been so kind. He's brought me along on some incredible adventures. And he looked at me, and he said, Hey, Stan, would you, uh, would you shoot a deer for me this year? That's an unconventional request. Nobody has ever asked me to do that before. But Thanksgiving Eve found me, my father-in-law, my son, and Earl in my garage butchering a deer. Why? Because Earl has always been that guy at another church that I served who would sidle up next to people in the lobby. It's almost like a drug deal was going on in the lobby. Be and he'd slip something. You had to look for it. If you didn't know what to look for, you'd never see it. But he'd slip this little baggie full of jerky, venison jerky, from his pocket to somebody else. I was the recipient of that oftentimes. I'd be talking to somebody in the lobby, and Earl would come up to me and say, hey. And he'd kind of slip it over, and I'd put it in my pocket. And let me guarantee you this, that did not make it until supper time because Earl's deer jerky is delicious. It's so good. He was missing the joy of giving. He was missing the opportunity to give of something of himself to people, and it was kind of his thing. And what he didn't realize was in that moment when he asked me to give that to him, it, it unlocked joy for me to be able to give to him so that he could in turn give to others. God's calling you to share. Acts 20, verse 35 says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must keep, help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Who inside your sphere of influence is he calling you to share with right now? Right along with that, he also calls you to receive. Not just to be a good gift giver, but good at receiving as well. Could I encourage you? You have to be vulnerable to receive, to receive his presence. Could I ask you to stand up with me right now? We're going to just conclude our worship time together today with this. An opportunity to receive. I seated it just a minute ago. I said our, one of our pastors, Jake Harp, will be under the cross. If there's something about God's presence that's been stirred up in you today, if there's a desire in your heart, you want more of that and less of the sin that we talked about that so easily entangles. Can I just encourage you to make your way up here? He would love to talk with you. He would love to pray with you. He would love to encourage you toward this idea of receiving God's presence. It's a profound gift. He just wants us to unwrap it. Before I pray, could I also encourage you with this? Would you be keenly aware over the next several weeks as we unwrap the good gifts of God? When one of those fleas of busyness, one of those fleas of consumerism, 
one of those fleas of I don't know, whatever it is that seeks to distract you from the good gifts that God really does desire to give to you this time of year so you in turn can let it flow through you and be a gift to others. Swat that flea and lean into the good gifts that he has in store for you. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to serve you, and I thank you for the opportunity we've had to worship you together today. I thank you for our church, and I thank you for this season. We are grateful for the good gifts you give, and we want to show that gratefulness in turn by spreading your presence as far as we can, in every direction we can. And it's in your name and Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, Venture. Have a great week. We'll see you back again next Sunday.